Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Why, hello there. It's your old pal, Sarah Silverman, and I'm back with a brand new season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast. On my podcast, I am talking about uh, everything politics. Yeah, we get into it. Favorite sandwich shop in L.A.? I know a few spots, and I'm going to tell you about them. I'm also going to be talking to you. I will be reacting and responding to listener voicemails in real time. Let me tell you, things can get weird, and I love every second of it. Weird is my comfort zone. The newest season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. I'm Oja Lopez, and this week uh, I am staying in a child's room with many toys. And honestly, it takes me back. I'm feeling nostalgic. I want to regress to a part of myself where I don't have to do anything and other people bathe me. Wow. I think that's called being rich, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is Mohanad Al-Sheikhi and uh, this week I'm just uh, extremely happy that summer is over because that season sucks. I said it. Uh, no one's brave enough to say it. If you're listening and you're offended by this, send me a DM. We'll talk about it. And I'm Kiki Monique and ironically, because summer has ended, I have had a Slurpee every single day. I'm trying to hold on to every bit of summer. Okay, what is a Slurpee? Have you been to 7-Eleven? Yes. Okay, so like you go to the machine where they have the big gulps. And okay. next to it is a freezy big gulp. And it's just frozen ice sugar. I don't think I've ever had one, but oh. I will try oh. one and report back. Oh. Wow. Well, talking about activism, um, we're not actually, we're talking about Slurpees. I'm so excited to introduce this episode's theme. I'm so excited about this in particular because I feel like it blew up a couple weeks ago and I was so curious about it. So uh, today we're going to be talking about The Activist, which is a competition series that came out of CBS and uh, Global Citizens. And ultimately, Global Citizens produced the show, but then CBS mm -hmm. actually purchased it. So it did need somebody at CBS had to actually pay money for the show, which just to kind of explain it fully, um, you know, it's a competition series. So yes, reality TV. And they basically work together to bring meaningful change to three vitally important world causes. So one of them being health, education, and then the environment. So 
the idea for them was that these activists are going to go kind of head to head and challenges, promote their causes. And then somehow kind of at the end of every show, their success is sort of measured via online engagement and social metrics, as well as the input from Priyanka, Julian and Usher. Yeah. You know, we'll find out eventually who is actually going to be on the show. But I mean, just off the basis of that, what the hell were they thinking? Like, what is going on? That seems insane. I'd say I'd say they were not thinking. Uh, that's that's their <laughs> biggest issue here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you okay, if you like again, I I love some bad reality TV. So when you mood board it out, it, <laughs> in theory, it seems like this might work. I mean, for people who've worked, you know, in these competition shows where we've seen people do. I mean, Survivor, think about when Survivor came out, you know, people eating rats and bugs in order to win, you know, a million dollars. Like, that's far-fetched, that's outlandish, but we were, like, all behind it. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think reality TV shows, we all watch them, they're fun to watch, but I think after this whole year with the pandemic and just, like, knowing the dangers of climate change and actually seeing them and everything, I think people were just, like, terrified of these things that are happening to us and then i feel like the final straw was just seeing those people with money trying to turn everyone's work into a game and make money out of it yeah and everyone just like okay you know what i'm done here we're not gonna do this yeah it definitely feels like oh you know how there's like sequels and people keep making different like the same movies and we're just kind of out of ideas like we've reached the end of it we're at the very end of the internet and of television yeah and we've reached this idea and it seems particularly heinous to me but the comments online are incredible i've been reading just the funniest most engaging shit online about it and it's because it's it really prompts itself up to so much ridicule absolutely yeah the second i saw that deadline article when it popped up I immediately knew this is not going to go well. I was like, this is going to get more replies than likes, which is never a good sign. Never a good sign. Can I ask you guys like a serious question? Okay, not a serious. I'm never that serious. But- <laughs> Do it. Okay. I remember during the pandemic, I actually attended some virtual sort of like raise, you know, for hunger or something that we like bid on through our text messages and stuff. And it was like a whole star studded event and you know, when I think back to like my childhood, a lot of those like telethons and like those weird things, they had a lot of like rich people involved because that was the only way people were willing to give. Because like we are in the society where it's like, okay, you want me to give something? Well, what do I get for giving you something? Right. And so in my head, I think that's where, you know, CBS and maybe even, you know, Global Citizen and Live mm-hmm. Nation, like where they were thinking, like, okay, if we put these big names behind it, then people will be more willing to watch and get involved. Absolutely. But to your point, though, put big names behind it. But I feel like those big names should also have any relation to activism. You know, like, even if you put someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, he's been talking about climate change (laughs) for so long, and I'm not saying he should, but like, at least, you know, there's a reason behind it to why he's being put on a show like this. Because the main criticism wasn't only about the idea of the show. It was also about the judges. Like, some of them were like, yeah, I know nothing about activism. I just wanted to be part of this. It definitely seems like the the selection of judges is 
is strange in that way. But I, I think for sure, Kiki, what you're saying is right, just in the sense of like, how do we actually call attention to the issues? I think it's just so misguided. Not in, It's almost like when you go to a job and you know how to do something better than your boss, but your boss still signs your paycheck and tells you how to improve stuff like these activists are going to go on this show, get feedback from Usher on what like what is yeah. Usher going to offer these activists Mm-hmm. Other than this platform, nothing like these Absolutely. activists can probably offer Usher a lot more advice on, I don't know, just a plethora of things I'm sure he could improve on mm-hmm. in his personal life. Well, but- and that's what's like so sad because, like, I read in one of these articles, you know, these activists they just want to get their message out there in any way, shape, or form. And one of the activists who had been selected apparently had set up a GoFundMe in order to be able to go out and record the show because you know it's going to take I guess a few weeks of filming they're not going to be working and they needed funds to be able to like go out there and do that and it's so sad that this corporation wants to use these activists you know say to give them a platform but they're not even willing to pay them to like film them do this whole tap dance this whole you know charade but like I'm sure Usher and Julianne and Priyanka were making huge paychecks absolutely yeah and it's just it's not because activism is not supposed to be a show. And uh, I am sure like a lot of people like who do, do this work, they're not going to tell you that it is fun work, or but it's it's necessary. And they do it because of that. And, you know, and they're already competing. The competition element is already there because like you have to apply for grants and you have to literally just try to get the funding and just basically like borderline like beg people for the money. And to take that struggle and just be like, you will get your money if these three celebs like it enough. And, you know, like people like making jokes about it. They're, they're like, okay, so if I don't get enough likes, uh, Usher is going to be like, yeah, I guess uh, we're not going to fix climate change. What, 200 <laughs> likes? What is that? We're just going to let it happen. I saw a comment on on social media that was like, watch as two orphans battle it out because only one can be selected and adopted by lovely Mike and Linda from Cleveland. And I just thought to myself, like, you can't televise that level of pain and that level of depth of social issue. So they have to stay light, right? Like, I cannot imagine that they can get into, like, the depth of what these issues are actually causing because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be a freaking bummer on tv and i think it's also very interesting that two of the judges you know like release statements and just be like you know like we 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 listened we hear you we understand the critique and everything and usher just didn't say anything which was very funny to me because he was like he was like hey man i got my paycheck uh you guys do your internet thing i don't care well, that's the thing. It's like, so they were, they went from, I don't even know how many episodes. This was probably going to be, I don't know, we'll say 13 episodes, right? And then there's like this, they're going to premiere it. There's all this backlash. So they're mm-hmm. like, okay, never mind. We're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to revamp it. We're going to take it back. We're going to refilm and we're going to turn this into just like a, I guess, a one day documentary that's not a competition. It's just going to be focused on these activists that we originally use and just focusing on their efforts. And we're going to give them the money that we were going to give them already, but we're just going to give it to them. And it's kind of like, uh, okay, but I don't know. Like, is anyone going to watch? I mean, that's my fear is like, is anyone now going to watch this? Because I feel like 
uh, I don't know. To to me, what it sounded like, and like having worked in TV, they, they were just like they got together and they were like, okay, how do we continue making money out of this without making everyone angry? Because we need to make the money back. So this is the best idea we could. Because literally, I would say ninety percent of the people on, on on the internet who replied to it don't want to watch it, but they were like, uh-uh, no, no, we're committed to this. We're committed to this bad idea. You're gonna see it in a documentary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still can't imagine they're. I still think they're gonna bleed money from it because I, I just like, uh, I don't know. But I don't think it's gonna yeah. succeed. And I think it was obviously a reactionary response. Like, so there wasn't any strategy behind it. There's no thinking behind it. Um, at least, I guess the positive is that these activists will still get a platform and they will get money to use. And so that's ultimately what we all wanted. And so yeah. that will be the great part that comes out of all of this. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, their response, you know, they did sort of like a, uh, like a release a combined statement, but, you know, the activists, CBS, Global Citizen and Live mm-hmm. Nation. And it was like, you know, your standard, very good response. We're going to do the right thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Priyanka, <laughs> she she sort of just did like this very basic text box that uh, I think someone just sort of like wrote for her. It just it didn't I didn't feel it. You know, it was just like, OK, let me post it up and I'm done. Usher, dead silent. Like, nothing to say. Like you said, like, I got my paycheck. And where's the next one coming from? (laughs) Every time a celebrity doesn't apologize, I always imagine that meme of, like, Homer Simpson backing into a bush, you know? (laughs) Where they're like, if I just quietly exit this room and Irish goodbye my way out of this problematic situation, nobody will call me out. And honestly, he's right. I think in so many ways, like, the, I'll call it, like, the Trump approach, which is, like, never apologize, never say you did anything wrong, and then hope that this leaves the minds of young people very quickly. And honestly, with Usher, I think that will be the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Priyanka and Julianne, ooh, I don't know so much. I just really saw Usher in a whole new light. Like, it just really came off as he's just sort of like a dick because, like, to not just address it at all isn't like backing away silently because he's still posting other stuff. He's doing other stuff. Oh, yeah. Usher. Yeah. So, Julianne Huff, she actually, I really like, she was the first. She was the first to actually apologize and hers I actually think that she did this like sure I'm sure she had some help but she this was her words yeah and you know like this isn't the first time she's had to apologize I mean like Mm -hmm. and it comes up in her apology because like back in 2013 she had gone to a Halloween party and this is when Oranges of the New Black was like the biggest show and she dressed up as Crazy Eyes, um, you know, Uza Aduba's character, Crazy Eyes, shows up at this Halloween party in blackface. And obviously, that was like a whole thing. And her apology back then, you know, it was fine for what it was. It was very basic. And it, ha- it included words like, it certainly mm-hmm. was never my intention, that sort of thing. Yeah. But in this apology that she did about the activists, I mean, she really sat there and addressed every single thing. I'm going to read a few lines from her apology. She said, After the press release announcing the activists, I heard you say that the show was performative, promoted pseudo-activism over real activism, felt tone-deaf like Black Mirror, The Hunger Games, and that the hosts weren't qualified to assess activism because we are celebrities and not activists. 
I heard you say there was hypocrisy in the show because at the root of activism is a fight against capitalism and the trauma that it causes so many people that the show itself felt like a shiny capitalistic endeavor. And because of this, there is a feeling of insult, dehumanization, insensitivity, and hurt that is being rightfully felt. I do not claim to be an activist and wholeheartedly agree that the judging aspect of the show missed the mark and furthermore that I am not qualified to act as a judge. On top of all of this, many people are just becoming aware that I wore blackface in 2013, which only further added insult to injury. So she knew that this blackface thing was going to come up and she addressed it. And she was like, I know that this has come up and, you know, I understand that. And so I love that she just was like, I am not going to hide from this. I'm going to address every single Mm -hmm. thing. And I don't know. I thought it was such a good apology. I thought it was sincere as well. Yeah. Just as a side note, the same year that this happened, my HR director at a job that I had also dressed as blackface. Um, In 2013? At my job. At the job that I went to. Did anyone say anything? I said something to him. I was like, hey, you're actually wearing blackface and you're the literal HR director of this company. So you can't do that. Um, And he kind of was kind of laughed it off and then, you know, took it off whenever he felt like it. Also, the wildest part of that story about what I read was that it was like it was Isla Fisher's Halloween party or she was there and supposedly she saw Julianne. And was like mortified and was like, please go get this off immediately. Isla Fisher? Apparently like her reps, Isla Fisher, yeah. Now in the in the article, her reps deny that she did this. But I'm like, why? I mean, she should, she's like, she was mortified. She wanted her to not be caught out. Her friend caught out and get pictures, but it yeah, was like too late apparently. That's not a bad but, thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, I just cannot imagine any year where this was not a bad thing to do. And ha- like to just attend a party or a place and have no one approach you and be like hey uh this is not good you shouldn't do that (laughs) i know come on yeah i know it's hard to call out your friends if we're people pleasers out there but sometimes you gotta take a girl by the ear to a bathroom and put a sponge to her face (laughs) sometimes you just have to do the work not even a sponge i'm taking a brillo pad (laughs) bitch (laughs) um yeah but no i really enjoyed her apology as well i feel like it is such a multi-pronged reason why the activist was such a bad idea. And I think that to a certain extent, she really tried to attack each part of it. Yeah. And one of my favorite reasons to go back to the reason why I think people did sign on in the first place is uh, she says that it feels important for her to share that the reason that she signed on was because she was excited to be a part of something that highlights and is centered around sharing activist work on a larger platform. So I think that, I mean, they did know it was a competition, so that in and of itself is already like uh, a big red flag. But even yeah. still, it's likely that they don't have an, a complete idea of what the show is going to come off like afterwards. Um, yeah. But yeah. That being said, uh, everyone, please tune in to my show, The Immigrant, uh, starring me. <laughs> and uh, Oha is also presenter on it. And, yeah. you know... And I'm talk. a judge. I get to determine of uh, you whether can. you get a green card or not. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's a black female host. Very diverse. <laughs> I can't wait till it gets picked up by CBS. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. 
And each week, we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now wherever you get your podcasts. So for this next segment, we reached out to someone who actually went through the casting process for The Activist. Her name is Clover Hogan. She's a 22-year-old climate activist and eco-anxiety researcher and the founder and executive director of a really incredible organization called Force of Nature, which is a youth nonprofit mobilizing climate action. We're so excited to have her join us. Hi, Clover. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Before we dive into the big stuff, we'd really like to know a little bit more about you and the work you do. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, So I grew up in the tropics in Australia, very much in a living room with three walls. So I spent more time outside than in. Y'all are American, but uh, in Australia, all the rumors are true about the animals. So (laughs) I grew up fishing frogs out of the toilet and dodging snakes that hung from the ceiling. I used to go out and rescue beach sea turtles. Um, So I was very lucky uh, in that I had that relationship. Are the spiders really as big as like basketballs? Because that's what I know about Australia. <laughs> yeah, so we we have the bird eating spider, which I mean, it's kind of in the name. Um, yeah, uh, we have all the creepy crawlies, we have all the animals, but that just uh, it filled me with so much like awe and wonder growing up, and yeah. um, I I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and I guess that that's background to why it came as such a shock to me when I learned what we were doing to the natural world. So I grew up watching documentaries, you know watching The Cove and An Inconvenient Truth. And I sat as this little girl glued to my computer screen, staring at these images of million-year-old forests being bulldozed to produce Big Macs and graphs projected by Al Gore that showed how quickly we were destroying the planet. And so it was at 11 that I declared to my parents over dinner that I wanted to become an environmentalist and commit the rest of my life to that work. Um, And that's really what I've been doing ever since. Um, 
At 19, I founded Force of Nature, which was really born out of the recognition that the threat even greater than climate change is how powerless so many of us can feel in the face of it because it's so overwhelming, it's so complex. And of course, until we mobilize mindsets, until we shift the way that we think about the issues and and see their intersectionality, we won't be able to solve it. So everything we do is that, working with young people around the world and enabling young people to engage with decision makers, walk the corridors of power to really shift from anxiety to action. What did your parents say when at age 11 you make this big decision? I mean, at age 11, <laughs> I think I was like asking for a Snoopy skateboard. Like I, what are they, like, are they just surprised? It's a good question. So my first declaration after environmentalist was I'm going to go vegetarian because I just watched a documentary about mass animal agriculture. And my dad is French and he's also a chef. So for him, this was like I was rejecting everything that he cared about. (laughs) And so I think he was like just completely ashen. And honestly, it took many years. I guess it's still taken up until very recently for him to kind of come to terms with it. Um, but you know, they, apart from that small fact they could not have been more supportive because mm-hmm. when I was 13, they allowed me to coerce them into moving to Indonesia, um, so that I could go to a place called the green school, which is wallless bamboo classrooms in the middle of the jungle. And that was really my launch pad into activism and, and grassroots mobilizing. Wow. I mean, I have been child-free by choice, but if I could have a kid <laughs> so they could convince me to move to Indonesia, I might rethink <laughs> this whole thing. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think they were too reluctant. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, you know, speaking of activism, you were reached out to by the show The Activist, which is Mm -hmm. a topic for our episode today. So how did it all start? How did they reach out to you? What did they say at first? And can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so we've had a growing profile over the past couple of years. And as a youth organization, we get heaps of requests Mm -hmm. every single day podcasts, interviews, you know, documentaries, that kind of stuff. And so it was another one of those requests. Someone reached out and said they were making a um, TV show to really celebrate activism and bring together activists Mm. and bring attention to a series of issues from um, hunger, world hunger and poverty to the environment, to health. And why this one was quite interesting is that it kind of came from Global Citizen someone speaking on behalf of Global Citizen. And we've done engagements with them before and have only ever had really positive experiences. Um, So like a number of requests, we followed up with a bit of clarifying information and I personally agreed to take a call with them. Mm. So what did they say in the initial call when you you talked to them at first? Uh, They were very evasive, is how I described it when I kind of like popped off on Twitter about the whole experience. they pretty much every question I asked, you know, what is the purpose of this show or um, how are you going to go about platforming diverse activists or, you know, what's the kind of end goal here mm-hmm. was responded to in a really, really evasive way. And so naturally, I had a bit of a question mark. But at the same time, we've never really done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Like we've done a heap of panels. We've you know done documentaries before, but nothing like a TV show. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, well, maybe it's so early on in the process that they're just like under NDA. They can't really say too much. And perhaps in this context, that's just like the entertainment industry. Um, but they really kept impressing what a huge opportunity this would be for Force of Nature. And for us, everything that we do is really how do we get 
youth voices out there and how do we take the conversation around eco-anxiety and the climate crisis mainstream so we agreed to another conversation with Mm -hmm. them Uh, they said we'll be able to put you in contact with someone else from the production team who will be able to answer all of your questions well, when someone comes to you, especially with like a huge name and with everything going on in the world, you think, you know, people saying they want to make these changes that aren't performative, even though it may be evasive, it seems like, OK, I want to give it a chance because like how many opportunities do you get to like get out there like this? So I think anyone would jump on the chance. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that's a huge part of what all of us do as activists is how do we get these issues into the mainstream? And the idea of like a major four network talking about the climate crisis, platforming activists. I mean, there wasn't really anything that sounded bad or or wrong about it. Yeah. But you had like you had no idea at first that it was a competition. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Yeah. I would have run 100 miles in the opposite direction if I'd known that from the get go. Yeah. So like, what was the, what would you say was like the first red flag for you? Yeah. So, I mean, retrospectively, there were red flags from the beginning, but it didn't become so abundantly clear until this follow-up conversation. So I agreed to having this conversation with the view of um, learning more about the show, maybe speaking to someone, you know, who knew a little bit more about the production itself. And so I hopped onto this conversation, which is kind of framed as an interview. I could ask some questions. They'd mm-hmm. ask some questions of me. Um, and from the get-go, it was really, really bizarre. So I got asked a pretty basic question, which I get asked a lot, which is, you know, who are you? How did you come to do the work that you're doing today? And so I shared my story, a slightly expanded version of what I shared mm-hmm. um, here today around what my catalyst was. I really spoke to the kind of moments of heartbreak that I've experienced as an activist, both learning about the issues, but of course, um, watching the fires back home in 2019, mm-hmm. which triggered a bit of an emotional breakdown for me, yeah. kind of looking down at my phone and, and seeing two billion animals incinerated by the inferno, you know, seeing stories on friends' Instagrams mm-hmm. of them standing on tin roofs, you know, as their homes got consumed by the flames. And so I really spoke to the kind of the my experience of activism and all of these emotional pulse points that have led to the work that I do today. Um, and as I watched this guy's face, as I was responding to this question, he seemed to become increasingly irritated and he looked a little bit frustrated. And, and right as I was saying the last kind of sentence, he cut me off toward the end. And he was like, no, 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 that's just not working. Like, he seemed really, really frustrated. And he's like, no, I, I want to hear, I want to hear the sob story. Like, I want to hear, you know, what was that moment that broke you? You know, what was that moment that like changed everything? And it was very dramatized. And he even kind of modeled to me an example of what he wanted to hear. Um, and so I was like, oh, I, okay, I can, I can re-explain it. Maybe I'll give it slightly shorter version or I'll focus on that catalyst moment. But basically he repeated this routine like over and over until I was reliving those moments on camera and it was so dramatized and so triggering for me personally, like talking about something super vulnerable. And that is just frankly really difficult to talk about that. I just like burst into tears on camera. And that was the moment where he's like, yes, perfect. That's the shot. Um, so that was probably the worst interview I've ever done. It became super clear in that moment that he didn't want to hear my story or get to know, you know, why I do the work that I do. He wanted a narrative and he was trying to get me to fit into that 
narrative yeah. and he wouldn't stop kind of hounding me with questions until he got what he wanted and that really like emotional response um and it was again just like downhill from there I think retrospectively mm-hmm. and I reflected on this I wish I'd had the self-awareness and also like the self-respect to <laughs> say in that moment like, enough is enough and I really don't want to do this anymore this is really uncomfortable um but I think it's always challenging when you're in that kind of power dynamic and when you're questioning yourself like the whole time I think I was like gaslighting myself a bit I was like maybe this is just like the entertainment industry like maybe this is totally normal maybe he's just trying to help me be a better storyteller like I don't don't know what's going on here well the thing is I think it is actually normal that's the sad part like it is the entertainment industry and it is normal and maybe that needs to not be the norm yeah it's it's insane because this seems like less about activism and more like how they do it in like shows like America's Got Talent and stuff where they do not care what you're singing about but like what made you sing and you just have to be like everyone around me died and that's why I'm doing this and it's just like okay cool but I want to know what they're doing yeah Yeah. I mean it's like I don't know how many days I spent like crying over the koalas because that was like the image here in America we saw was like all the koalas and it's like this producer trying to force you into like thinking about these like terrible koalas until you cry I mean that's awful yeah it was it was not fun I think it's it's really challenging because so much of my work is around mental well-being Mm -hmm. and everything that I do is to try and normalize these spaces where young people in particular affected communities you know feel empowered to be vulnerable and like speak from the heart and talk about how difficult it is I think there's such power in that but when it becomes like commodified or when there's some kind of like agenda to use that story for someone else's purpose, mm-hmm. it can be really degrading and, and disempowering. And absolutely, he just kept going on in that kind of vein throughout the entire like interview. And even after that question, it wasn't actually until the end where he asked me, so how would you go about winning this competition? that I just like stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, competition, like, what are you talking about? And then it all came to light that this was effectively a challenge show competition to get activists to basically vie for the same pot of funding and compete, not compete to the death, but almost felt like yeah. that. It literally felt like yeah. something out of Hunger Absolutely. Games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I like to call it Battle Royale, the original Hunger Games. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's honestly what it, it sounded like. And um, I think, you know, even at one point, you know, a lot of the work that I do as a climate activist is like, you know, in decision making spaces, in classrooms. I attend protests, but I'm not the one who organizes them. I have friends who do that, who are amazing mm-hmm. at it, amazing at community mobilizing. But he wanted me to be a community mobilizer. And he kept saying, okay, but tell me about a time you've organized a protest. And I'm like, I've never actually done that before. Like I've attended them, but I can't like take claim for that. And he's like, no, 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 but surely, you know, you've gotten a group of people together. You know, you've stood on the soapbox. You've done that whole thing. And I was like, no, (laughs) like you're clearly not listening to anything that I'm saying here. But again, I think they just wanted to take this conversation, cut it down into a convenient narrative where I could show on camera that I'm capable of like crying on the spot and being broken, you know? 
know, and they could turn that into a story for their producers. Oh, well, he's building it up as the slideshow. He's envisioning like you standing on a podium somewhere, like ripping something up. Yeah, like it's a whole image thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he wanted like a Greta 2.0. And like the beauty of this movement is its diversity. And we all have our different places in it. But they came into that conversation with an agenda and they left with one. And, you know, after it, I found the whole thing just very upsetting how um, long did this interview go and like until you he finally told you the competition part was this like an hour four uh, hours it felt like hours it felt like torture but no it was an hour-long conversation and it was right at the end it was honestly in the last like five maybe ten minutes of the conversation that he brought to light it was a competition and you know i think i was like increasingly irritated up until this point and he could like sense that in me as well but i'm like i just don't know why i'm here i don't know why like you've invited me here and then once he shared that i was like basically have a nice day and i hope to never hear from you or this production company again well did you just tell him then at that moment like you know like i'm out no i didn't you know i wish that i had i wish that i could have just been like really badass and like clap back at them and be like this whole thing has been so problematic and but i just felt like really shaken up and i just wanted to like go and cry in a corner basically um which i did i like called my mom and she was like oh it sounds like you've you know dodged a major bullet you know think of how they would have like co-opted your story and and everything else and i told my boyfriend and and some friends about it and in fact i kind of like put it out of my mind completely and forgot about the whole thing i assumed that because he had seemed so irritated with me at so many points that they just would never contact me again so it was actually hugely surprising when on my birthday june 15th i get this text on my whatsapp and it's like clover we've been trying to contact you on all platforms instagram twitter email you know you've been successful for the activists we want you to come on the show all of this but we need to know by like end of day and i literally said to them i'm like thanks for considering me. I have no interest in this opportunity, but like all the best with your lives, basically. I'm like, I really don't want to engage with this whatsoever. And that was when the follow-up messages came of, you know, this would be a huge mistake. You're missing out on a huge opportunity. You should really rethink this. Oh yeah, of course, of course, which I'm definitely used to. So, you know, I wish this could be an isolated opportunity, but unfortunately we engage in these spaces all the time where young voices are either, you know, tokenized or made to feel guilty or used for some other agenda. So at this point, I was just like really jaded with it. Um, And then very recently, a few weeks ago, my friend sent me this message on Instagram and it was a screenshot of the PR announcement of The Activist (laughs) with Usher and Priyanka Chopra. And she's like, is this the show you called me about? And of course it was. So here we are. I have to wonder, like, you know, you're you're from Australia, you're not from America, and you're so young. I'm not not as an insult, but like you're really young. And I think a lot of people your age would see this opportunity as like, I just want to get on any way, shape, or form. I think that's just how we think yeah. in America. It's like, even if it felt gross in the moment. I don't know. I think we do it. And I'm actually really impressed. I mean, well, thank I don't you. think I could have done it at 22. I'll be honest. I might have been like, sell my soul. I would have done it. <laughs> do you know what? I think I very well could have been in that position, you know, a few years ago. I think it's only from the benefit of having done enough like speaking engagements and having had enough bad experiences yeah. that, you know, I picked up on on the red flags when I did. But 
I wish I'd picked up on them sooner. Um, and I'm glad I didn't go ahead with it. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a fun experience. And I also feel for the activists who do, did end up going onto the show. And I'd never want any of this rhetoric, you know, aimed at them or against course, them yeah. because I know how easy it is to get sucked into that. And when you are in an unequal power dynamic to go, okay, well, I just need to set myself aside and focus on getting my message out there or getting the cause out there. Um, so I think they, they would be in a really difficult position right now as well. Yeah. Well, good thing it's not happening anymore. Uh, I mean, oh, it, thank took God. Five, thank God. it took five days for it to just, <laughs> you know, implode and people just being like, this is a bad idea. This is this, Very especially like idea. when you see who are like the judges are and stuff like that. Like no one has ever been like, yeah, Usher, big climate activist. Uh, that's what he's known for. <laughs> Honestly, every part of it was just so gross. Like, not only are we getting... Okay, like, being an activist, you never know if you're going to get a consistent paycheck. Yeah. Like, you never know if you're going to get enough funding. Like, you go into this, like, job, if you can call it that, knowing there are so many risks, knowing that you have to vie for the same pots of funding mm -hmm. and everything else. You know, and, and it's so disrespectful to... You know, I come from a bubble of absolute climate privilege, right? I have friends who are activists in South America, mm -hmm. in places like Sao Paulo or Kenya, for that matter, where activism is a very real threat to their lives, yeah. right? This is not some fun competition. This is like, I'm doing this work knowing that I could die for it. And so to, to kind of fetishize that and turn it into this, you know, competition show, and then for the success of those activists to be through the metric of like how successful they are in social media is tokenizing, is disrespectful, it's like disillusioning. So I'm really relieved that it has been pulled. Um, it's great to see, I think in this instance that like cancel culture can be a real, really positive force for change um, because this kind of stuff happens all the time. And it's just in this particular instance that it really came to light and that people put their foot down and really said, this is not okay. This is not going to fly. That like, that was like one of my favorite quotes I read in an article you did was we're in a culture that prioritizes consumption and competition over collaboration and community. And that really str mm. struck me. Cause I was like, you're right. Like I, I, again, I love reality shows and I don't know if maybe I would have probably watched it if there wasn't this outwardly backlash. Cause I, I consume a lot. I really do. I'm like, sure. what is this about? And I'll talk shit about it. And I'll be like, this is terrible. This is horrible. But like, just from that perspective. So it was great that so many people realized like, no, this, this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess you have to ask like, who does this serve at the end of the mm -hmm. day? And you know, it's not like watching a show like this is going to inspire people to like put their hands in the mud and like do the work and like get involved, um, you know, and I think if anything, it can kind of perpetuate a bit of apathy because you're like, oh, okay, there are some people doing some things like I can continue like sitting on the couch, like not engaging with the issues, not using my voice, my platform. And again, I think it's just like this epitome of like corporate America, mm -hmm. which is like, let's turn it into something that sells. And rather than using the enormous amount of funding <laughs> that goes into production to actually support activists and like fund their work, you know, let's use it for optics and let's use it to bring on board people like Usher and Priyanka Chopra. So yeah, it's, um, I think it's very timely as well. I think people are frustrated and I think people are becoming that much better at kind of like calling it out when it does 
come to come to light. Um, but yeah, I really hope they've learned from this experience. I mean, I'm not super optimistic on that front, but I at least hope Global Citizen as an organization yeah. recognizes why this was so problematic. Yeah, I mean, I think that like we've spent decades, so many decades in this like raising awareness phase one, right? Like we've been raising awareness for decades and decades and decades. And now we're all aware. Like, I think we've gotten to the point we we, we are all aware. And now we need to get to like phase two and three where we're like doing <laughs> stuff and corporations don't know how to do that. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And we have those kind of conversations all the time, you know, with business leaders as force of nature. And, you know, we've been invited into a lot of those spaces where what, comes as super intuitive to many of the young people we work with it's like you're having to hold the hands of these decision makers and like walk them through it and be like here's why it's really problematic to put out you know a diversity campaign where you have you know all of these diverse faces not reflect any of that in your hiring process Mm -hmm. or here's why like greenwash is like not cool and why young people are going to call you out for it and so i think you know social media i've seen cancel culture swing in the opposite direction even in this instance right like people who are trying to cancel the people who are involved in the show like the participants themselves Mm -hmm. but at the same time i think social media can be this like incredible vehicle and mobilizer and i think we've seen that with you know black lives matter we've seen it with the youth strikes for climate and when people realize that our voices in collective have power to really challenge the institution and they change as a result of it that is incredibly empowering i mean (laughs) there's nothing more i can add to that i mean the conclusion of it was was great I'm glad. And, well, thank uh, yeah. you. And thank you for helping me laugh about it as well. Because, you know, at the time it was very upsetting. But now I just look at like how ridiculous mm-hmm. it is. And um, yeah, I mean, we have to laugh at how silly it is or else it's just if you're not going to laugh, you're going to cry. So I'd rather <laughs> laugh at this point. Absolutely. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. And now our favorite part of the week, sorry, not sorry. This week, I owe an apology to my English teachers because I just now realized that I have been saying windy road instead of winding road. (laughs) 
And as somebody who really likes to correct people's English, like when I hear supposedly I, I lose my mind, I'm a bit mortified that I've been saying windy road. I I I don't even know what that is, to be honest. You're talking to two ESL immigrants, baby. We have no yeah. idea what you just said. Yeah. Just, okay, perfect. I'm gonna yeah. keep I'm gonna keep saying windy to you too. This is a safe space for sure. <laughs> This week, I would like to apologize to polite uh, society because I did go into a restaurant with no shoes on, flanked by friends in order to hide the fact that I had absolutely lost my shoes. Um, what? And, you walked uh, into a restaurant with no shoes? Oh, no shoes. Uh, no shoes at all. But was not caught. Walked directly to a table. Sat, ate my full, very fancy meal. It was one of those very dimly lit, sexy restaurants, you know. Mm. Um, Were you trying to like fight the no shirt, no shoes, no service rule? I'm a rule follower. I'm 100% a rule follower. I just literally did not have shoes because my friend accidentally put them on the trunk, like on top of the car, didn't tell me. And then we drove away. (laughs) And I thought they were inside of the car. So by the time that we actually get to the restaurant, I'm looking around for my damn shoes in this car. And Stacy's like, oh, I put them on top of the trunk and told you. And I was like, well, I didn't hear it. And now my extremely nice Doc Martin sandals are gone to the oh, wind. Oh, no. Yeah. I wish I was there when the people who discovered shoes, because, you know, you always <laughs> find like random shoes in the road. And you're like, how do these end up here? And now we know the origin story. And I love that. Yeah. So I'm sorry, polite society. This week again, um, apologizing to someone I do not know, a stranger again. <gasps> but to give you some context, I uh, I was going to head to a stand-up comedy show, and I was late, so I took an Uber to get there. And I sat in the car, and, you know, they're like, there was, like, music playing when I got in. And every song that played, I was like, man, this is good stuff you know (laughs) this is like the songs that i like you know and it just kept going and i was like this guy gets it like this guy is like really understands my taste and then out of nowhere a recording of my stand-up comedy starts playing (laughs) and at this point i'm like terrified Oh my god! I was like, I, "Am I being kidnapped by some <laughs> mega fan?" Yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, what's happening here?" Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, good. I guess I have fans that will uh, would would like to take me away, but I, I literally was just just terrified, <laughs> and then I just said nothing, and then I looked at my phone. <laughs> And it turns out the phone charger I've been using from the car is also an aux cord. (laughs) And it's been my music playing this whole time in the stranger's car. And that's why every song was was great, because it's 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 from my phone. And this man is just I'm just riding with him and he's like this psychopath. (laughs) Got into my car and was like, I am the DJ now. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. 
If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jose Andres. Maybe you know me from my restaurants or maybe from Wall Central Kitchen, the organization I founded to feed people after disasters. Well, it's time for you to know my podcast, Longer Tables. Each episode, I get to know fascinating people in the most intimate way, through food. Stacey Abrams, Jojo Ma, Jane Goodall, Padma Lakshmi. I will answer questions from listeners too. Join me in building longer tables, not higher walls, wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Archetypes, a dynamic podcast hosted by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, as she digs into the labels that try to hold women back. In each intimate and candid conversation, Megan is joined by guests like Serena Williams, Mariah Carey, Paris Hilton, Issa Rae, and Trevor Noah as they delve into the roots of countless common descriptors of women, like diva, crazy, dumb blonde, and the B word, and redefine and reclaim each identity along the way. The complete season of Archetypes is out now wherever you get your podcasts.